My brothers and sisters and my friends today, I am presenting to you a case. My mother and my father at the time of my birth were not Christians and did not know the plan of God for my future. And they did not know that the reason that I was born into this world was to become a minister of the gospel. And for times like this, Jennifer, to stand before an audience and to preach words of life and truth. What I'm doing today is the reason that I was born and the reason that I exist. And I'm presenting a case to you today, and I believe what I'm saying is right to say that the facts of this case are undisputed. They are uncontested and they are unobstructed. I'm presenting a case to you today for you to behold what Jesus did and who he was for you to make a decision, for every human must make a decision. I'm reminded of the words of Deuteronomy 30, 19, and I'll quote them to you. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. I believe God through this, these simple lips and this humble servant of his, I'm just the FedEx delivery boy. He's delivering through me a message to you, a choice that you must make. Every Christian, every human must make. It's a choice of life and death. If you're a believer already, there is life and death to choose when it comes to your healing, when it comes to your prosperity, when it comes to your protection, when it comes to the fear that you allow in. If you're not a Christian, those choices, of course, need to be made. But first, the, me the message of salvation, what are you going to do with Jesus? That decision must be made. And life and death is put before you. And God says, choose. My job is simply to deliver it. It is not your to force you to make a decision, although every human must and every human will. By not making a decision for Jesus, you have automatically made a decision to reject him. People think because they haven't decided that they're going to somehow slip through. A non-decision is a no. Only an intentional decision to say, yes, Jesus, will he receive you unto himself. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says these words, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages or the price to be paid of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Just like I talked about eternal life, which is beyond life in this realm, beyond life in this, in this human existence, it's eternal life, spiritual life in heaven forever. So just as God is talking in this verse about eternal spiritual life, the word death there is not just talking about dying physically, it's talking about spiritual death. The wages of sin is spiritual death, but the gift of God through Christ Jesus is eternal spiritual life. This is not just talking about physical, it's talking about spiritual. When you see in the Bible many times where it says death, in this case specifically, it is not just talking about physical death, but spiritual death. What is spiritual death? It is separation from God. You're going to hear me say that repeatedly because it's important. Spiritual death is separation from God spiritually. We know it has to be spiritual because a lot of people sin. The wages of sin is death. A lot of people sin, but they don't drop dead. 
There's a lot of sin going on in this world, but people aren't dropping dead because of their sin. No, people sin, but they continue to live in this realm and in this existence. But what has happened is they've died in their spirit man, in their relationship to God. And if they die physically in that condition, they will continue to be separated from God in the next realm as they are separated from God in this realm. If you're not born again, you're separated from God in this realm. He's not your father and you can't talk to him. If you physically die in that state of spiritual separation, you will also in the next realm, the eternal realm, the spiritual realm, where your spirit goes after you die, you'll continue to remain separated from him in that realm. Those that are in relationship with him, when they physically die, their spirit goes to live with him in heaven. Those that are spiritually separated from him on this earth, when they physically die, their spirit goes to continue to be separated from him in a place called hell. I know there are certain denominations. I know there are certain religions that now say there is no hell. Those are liars who say that. They're full of demon power that say that. There is a hell. There's a very real hell. And Jesus preached about it when he talked about Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus was in paradise in Abraham's bosom and the rich man, not because he was rich. God does not have a problem with riches but he put his faith and his confidence only in his money and not in God. And he was separated from God in a tormenting place of hell and Lazarus could see him and he said, please give me water to quench my, my thirst and the heat and the fire. There is a real hell. Jesus preached about it. I don't care what minister, what religion or what denomination says otherwise. Let all men be a liar, the Bible says, but let the word of God be true. There is a hell. Jesus himself preached about it. Dozens of scriptures reference it. And if you die in a lost state, spiritually separated from God while you're breathing oxygen, if you die in this realm, when you go that realm, you will continue to be separated. Why? Because the price or the wage of sin, unrepentant sin, if sin is not removed, is spiritual death or separation from God. Both here, you can be spiritually separate and there after you die. Let me read you it's the only scriptures I'm actually going to read. I'm going to quote many, but I'm going to read you from the Bible right here with me from John chapter three and verse one. And the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the, Jew of the Jews. He was a very religious, spiritual man, a very wise and intellectual man. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, meaning if you come out of the womb, that's the flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. The first word spirit is capitalized S. That which is born by the Holy Spirit is a spiritual experience. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth or where it wants, and you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The word born again is, is equal to the phrase born of the Spirit. It's not a natural birth, it's a spiritual birth. 
What does born again mean? Every human being has been born into the human race physically. At the time of your physical birth, because you are a spirit, you have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. At the time of your physical birth, your spirit, the real you, the Bible says it's in your belly region, the part of you that will live forever in heaven or hell, was made alive unto God. Your spirit was alive, not just existing, but in relationship to God, it was alive. When you were physically born, but it was alive involuntarily. You didn't choose to make it alive. Every human being has a spirit that's alive when, they, when they're born into the earth. This means that every innocent child goes to heaven because a child before the age of accountability, whether they talk to God, whether their family is Christian or not, they're innocent. God won't judge them if they die before that age of accountability because their spirit is connected to God even as a child which means every child that dies before that age, even if they didn't know who Jesus was, automatically goes to heaven. But there's an age the Bible calls the age of accountability. It's different for every person. God set the age in the Old Testament for the Israelites in the wilderness. He set the age at the age of 20. That gives us a good indication of approximately when it is, but every person's different. In most cases, it's in the teenage years, but everyone's different. When a human being comes to a full understanding, not just of right or wrong, because a toddler knows not to take the cookies out of the jar. That's right and wrong. But a toddler does not understand eternal consequences. So it's not just right and wrong. When, when somebody comes to the full understanding in, and God sees that in his opinion, they have reached that age where they are now accountable for their actions in terms of eternity. That is called the age of accountability. At that moment, which is usually in the teenage years, if they haven't received Jesus in their heart, let me explain to you what happens. Their spirit man, which was alive unto God, it, it is alive in that it exists all the time, but it was in relationship with God. It was alive unto God. They were born of the spirit, alive to God. But when sin, when the knowledge of sin, when the accountability of sin enters, sin blocks that divine spiritual connection between their heart and God the Father. And the blockage of sin causes their spirit man to no longer be able to talk to God the Father. Whether they talk to him or not, before that is irrelevant, they had the ability to, maybe their family didn't teach them. Maybe they weren't in a Christian society, but they had the ability to. But when sin comes, no matter where they are in the world, that relationship, that ability to communicate with God the Father, spirit to spirit, is blocked because of sin. The verse, what I call the Rosetta Stone verse, that explains this to us, is Romans chapter 7 verse 9 let me quote it to you for I was alive he's talking spiritually before the law once but when the commandment came sin revived and I died he's not talking about physical death he's talking about spiritual death he was alive spiritually before he had understanding of God's truth. But when the commandment and God's word came and he became accountable for it, sin revived and he spiritually died. This is the definition of what it means to be born again. Because once you reach that age and, and your spirit man is blocked because you're accountable now for sin. And we heard before that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's inevitable at some point you're going to reach that age. When that time comes, 
comes and you're blocked, you now become a lost person spiritually. You become a sinner spiritually far from the covenants of God's promises and his grace. And if you die physically in that state of spiritual separation, you will continue into the next world in continued spiritual separation. But that's for all eternity and that's hell. So there God has made a great way of deliverance. Sin blocked that. And if you die in that, you will go down to that place. But when somebody accepts Jesus as Savior, this is the born-again experience. His blood comes, and his blood is the agent that removes that sin. That blockage is there, but the power of the blood removes that sin from your spiritual life. And all of a sudden, by the power of the blood to cleanse the sin and the power of the Holy Spirit who comes. Remember, Jesus said that this is Spirit, capital S, and Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he works with the blood. The blood removes the sin, and the Holy Spirit comes and makes alive or quickens, makes alive your spirit. Not that it was dead in terms of it didn't exist, but in terms of God, its relationship, it could not connect with God. And the Holy Spirit makes your spirit man alive unto God a second time. Why is it a second time? Because when you were born, your spirit man was alive unto God as a child. When you came to the age of accountability, sin came and your spirit man died in its relationship to God. But when you receive Jesus, his blood and the power of the Holy Spirit makes your spirit man alive again unto God and you are born of the spirit a second time. You're made alive spiritually a second time unto God, which is why Jesus said it's called being born again. People have asked me all over the world, who came up with this word born again? Was it some American preacher with white shoes? Was it some evangelist on the stage? It wasn't any human being that came up in terms of, of fellow human beings. It was Jesus, the human being, who said this. He coined the phrase. He coined the phrase, you must be born again. What does he mean? You must be born of the Spirit a second time. You had it as a child. You lost it when you hit that age of accountability, but his power will come into you and make your spirit quicken unto God, alive unto God a second time. When that happens and your spirit comes into connection with God the Father a second time, that is called the born again experience. And you come into relationship with your father again as you had when you were a child, whether you knew it or not. Now you live in this world, breathing oxygen, spiritually connected to God. And there are many benefits and blessings that you'll experience in this world. But whatever you experience here pales to compare with what you'll experience when you physically die. Because when you physically die in this realm, but your spirit is connected to God, as soon as you die, the Bible says to be absent from the physical body is to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as soon as you die spiritually connected your spirit goes with the angels up to heaven to live forever with him because you were born again this is not just some religious experience this is not just a denominational term this is a term for all the world this is a term for every nation tongue and creed this is a term for every man woman boy and girl you must be born a second time in your spirit alive unto God or you don't have the assurance of eternal life Praise God. 
The Old Testament people could not be born again because Jesus hadn't come. So how did God judge them? The Bible says that if they believed in God, if they trusted in God, he counted their faith toward them as righteousness or right standing with him. So people of the Old Testament that died in faith, God said, you're in right standing with me. But in the New Testament, it's still faith, but it's more than just faith. It's not, it's not just faith that he exists in general. It's faith in Jesus, confessing him as your Lord and having him come into your heart and having the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus remove that blockage so your spirit is alive unto God. That born again experience is required for the New Testament since the time that Jesus rose from the dead. It's required for everybody that's listening to me now. Praise God. Remember, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, this is like the wind blowing and it's a beautiful illustration about the born again experience. You know, Jennifer, when I see the wind, when I hear, I can't see the wind, it's an invisible force, but I can hear it and I can see its effects in the leaves on the trees. I don't see the wind, but I know it's there because the trees are swaying and the leaves are rustling and I can hear the wind many times. Jesus said, this is the description of the born again experience. When somebody's spirit is made alive unto God in the physical realm, you can't see it because it's spiritual and it's invisible like the wind. But you will always be able to tell on the outside that change on the inside will produce a demonstration on the outside. When the spirit of a man changes, it's invisible to the naked eye, just like the wind is. But just as you can hear the wind and you can see the wind rustling in the leaves, there is an outward demonstration of the wind in the physical, natural world, like the wind and the trees. So in the realm of the spirit, when your spirit man is changed, you can't see that change because it's spiritual, but you will see the rustling of the leaves in the life of the person. You will hear the wind in the life of the person. You will hear their words change, their thoughts will change, their actions will change, what they say will change, what they believe will change. These are the outward demonstrations of an inward change. The change is invisible, but the demonstration because of the change is very visible. That's why a lot of people, they think they're saved. They think they're born again, but they did it with their mind instead of with their hearts. Kenneth E. Hagin, one of my spiritual fathers, would call that mental assent. They agree that Jesus is Lord, but he's not real in their hearts. They've mentally assented, but there's no change. Their spirit man has not become alive. Their mind might agree, but their spirit is not alive. And that, when that happens, the mental until salvation, there is no change in their behavior. They still cuss, they still drink, they still do drugs, they still want to have sex with everything that walks, they still gamble, they still lie, they still steal, they still do the works of the flesh because there's no inner change. But when Jesus changes you on the inside, the outside begins to change. This is the born again experience. I believe that you've heard it clearly and that you can understand it. Now let us go back to Jesus when he was on the earth. You have to understand what born again means before I can explain the rest to you. Now let's go back to Jesus while he was on the earth. Jesus knew that we had to be born again because he preached it. Therefore, he knew that a way had to be made for men to be born again because he preached it in John 3. Jesus knew, therefore, sin had to be removed in order for men to be born again. 
Jesus therefore knew if we have to be born again, therefore sin has to be taken care of to be born again. Therefore, in order for sin to be taken care of, a price has to be paid for that sin. Jesus knew that. What was the price for sin? I read it to you. The wages of sin, the price of sin is spiritual death and separation from God. Jesus knew if we were going to be born again like he preached, the sin problem had to be removed. And he knew the only way to take care of the sin problem was that there has, somebody had to bear that sin because, and pay the price and the wage of that sin because the price and wage, and all of us have to pay it because all of us have sinned, the price is eternal separation from God, both in this realm and the realm to come. Jesus knew that. He knew it. He knew that somebody had to be separated from God while they breathed oxygen and somebody had to be separated from God in the next realm in hell in order for our place to be taken in order for somebody to substitute for us. Somebody had to pay the price. Somebody had to take that sin upon themselves. And what is this price of sin? Separation from God. Somebody had to be separated from God. Are you listening to me? Jesus knew if we're going to be born again, somebody had to be separated from God. And the question is, who is going to take our place? Because somebody has to take our place. God has to pour the judgment of sin, the cup of wrath that you watched on the video. God has to pour the price of sin, the cup of wrath, the judgment of sin. He has to pour it on somebody. Somebody has to take it. And I was in line to take it. Jennifer was in line to take it. And every you, every one of you were in line to take it. But if God poured it on us, we're lost forever in darkness. So God has to come up with a plan. Humans deserve it because they've sinned. The separation from God is inevitable. Jesus said, if you're born again, you don't have to be separated, but the sin has to be taken care of. So somebody has to come. It's either us or it's him. Somebody has to come and take our place. Somebody has to come and let sin come upon them for them to bear the price, for them to pay the wage and for them to be separated from God. It was either going to be us paying the price separate forever or it was going to be Jesus paying the price. He didn't want us to be lost in darkness. But here's the problem. Jesus knew whoever that person was that was going to take the place of humanity because somebody has to bear the sin. Somebody has to pay the price. The cup of wrath has to be poured on somebody. Judgment has to come on somebody. Somebody has to be separated. And Jesus knew if it, it had to be a human, otherwise it wouldn't qualify to cover the human race. So it couldn't be an angel because they don't qualify. They're not human. But Jesus also knew it had to be somebody that had never sinned because if somebody already had sin on their hands and in their hearts, they don't qualify for taking the sin of the world. So it has to be somebody fully human, but yet fully holy. It has to be fully God and yet fully man, fully divine and yet fully mortal. Who on earth could be that one that comes as a full human to qualify to die for humans, but also perfect without sin? Because if there was one speck of sin, they don't qualify to take the sin. So God came up with a plan, like the video said, before the foundation of the world, that Jesus would come, empty himself of his divinity, and come. And this is the amazing thing, Jennifer. 
This is the amazing thing. He came born of a virgin woman, so he qualified because he was fully human, born like all of us were born. But no human man put seed in her womb to create Jesus. The Holy Spirit with God's divine DNA impregnated her physical human womb. And so we have a man born to qualify as a human, but with a bloodline directly from God the Father without the tainting of sin from Adam's line. Now Jesus the Christ is on the earth, fully God and fully man. Having, having divested himself of heavenly privileges, he walked as a man. He talked as a man. He was tempted, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, 15, tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. Jesus was the only one that qualified because he was the only human that had no sin. Amazing. And he lived a perfect life. He qualified to take our place in the human race and he qualified because he was perfectly sinless, without which he couldn't. So now I want you to watch with me. I've, I've explained to you the divine strategy of God. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 2 that if Satan had known God's plan, he would have never let them crucify Jesus because Satan knows to a measure, but he doesn't know the whole idea that's in God's mind. He would have never allowed it because it would mean that humans, past, present, and future, were the future, would be saved from hell forever. So he didn't know God's plan, but God had a divine strategy. He called it the wisdom of God of the ages. Before the foundation of the world, this was always planned. God was going to come in human flesh as a perfect man, tempted in all areas, but perfect. So he qualified both as human and as divine. He was going to be the one to say, I'll do it. So I want you to see Jesus now as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's considering, he's saying, God, this, this torment is upon me. Take it from me. He wasn't concerned that much about the physical pain, although I'm sure that was something that was obviously a big concern to him, the pain of the whipping and the bruising and the beating and the, and, and, and the piercing of the nails. But what was really on his heart, my brother and sister, is he did not want to be separated from his father because from the foundation of the world, long before the angels were even created, billions of years ago before the earth was ever created, Jesus and the father were one and they had this unbelievable love relationship. God the Father, God the Son had never been separated ever for the eons of time and Jesus knew for the first time in the existence of anything in eternity the only time for the past eternity and for the future eternity, he would be separated from his father. Why, Jennifer? Because he had to take our sin. And what is the price of sin? The judgment had to come on him. The wrath had to come on him. Why? Because the price is separation and he knew he was going to be separated. But he knew if he didn't do it, it would be lost. So I can imagine Jesus saying these words, I'll take their place. Let the judgment come on me. I'll drink the cup of wrath. Remember at the video, he drank the cup of wrath at the table at the end. I'll drink the cup of wrath. Now, John chapter 3, 14 to 17, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in me shall not perish but have eternal life. 
Why did Jesus refer to himself as the snake on the pole? Because when the snakes came to bite the Egyptians because of their sin, God told Moses, take a snake, put it on a pole. That's where we get the medical symbol of a snake on the pole. Put up that snake on a pole. It has to be a brass pole because brass represents judgment and wrath. And it has to be a snake on that pole, the most, the most discarded and ugly and hated creature in all of the animal kingdom because Satan took the form of a snake in the garden. So Take that snake, put it on a pole of judgment, and anybody that looks on it will be healed. And Jesus said, I am that snake that will be put on a pole of judgment and wrath. And if any human present or future looks at me and receives what I've done and trusts me, they will be healed and saved just like the Israelites were. He was saying, put the judgment on me. Let the wrath come on me. I'll be the snake on the pole. What he was saying is, I'll be the sinner. I know Christians don't like it when I say things like this, when preachers preach like this, but you've got to hear the truth. Jesus became a sinner. I know we love him and we see him as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is, but Jesus became a sinner because I was a sinner, and he had to take my place in sin. That is why 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says Jesus became sin. It didn't say he took it. It didn't say he just bore it. He said it be became it. That is why he said, I am the snake on the pole because a snake represents sin and darkness. He didn't just bear it, he became it. He said, pour the judgment on me. I'll drink of the cup of wrath. I'll pay the price for them. I'll be the snake on the pole for them. I'll be the sinner so that they don't have to be. Are you listening to me, my friend? I'll be spiritually separated from God in their place. I'll be separated in this realm and the next. I'll be a lost sinner here and I'll go to hell there because I'm taking their sin. I have to be spiritually separated from God here. And because I'm taking my, their sin and I die physically in that state, I have to be spiritually separated from God in hell there. There's some denominations that teach he didn't go to hell. That is heresy. It is a lie from Satan himself. Of course he went to hell. How could he take your place if he didn't go to hell? He died on the cross as a sinner. He died as a lost man. He died with his spirit not engaged with God. What happens when a man dies in that state? He goes to hell. He had to take my place, let the judgment of sin and the wage and the price come on him while he breathed oxygen. And in those last moments, he was not in his covenant with God, he was a sinner. He died in that state and he went to the place that sinners must go. He went to the place of eternal damnation called hell because he had to take my place. Thank God he didn't stay there. But he went there for me. He went there for me. He said, I will go through what Craig should have gone through as if judgment had been poured on him. So that if Craig trusts in me and is born again a second time, made alive into God a second time, born of the Spirit a second time, born again in his spirit man by receiving my sacrifice and putting his trust in me, and the Holy Spirit makes him alive in his spirit again so he can talk to God again, if he'll do that, then the price I paid was worth it. Because I took his place in this realm and I took his place in that realm. And if he will just be born again in this realm, he can stay connected to his father. And in that realm, he will live with his father. But if he rejects what I've done, if he rejects what I've done in this realm, he'll be separate. 
and the curse of the law, sin and death and sickness and torment and darkness will be his portion. And when he dies, he will go down to a place where I went for him, but he'll have to go there because he rejected the way out. He rejected the sacrifice. Do you see it? So what did God do? He poured the judgment on him as he hung on the cross. He became the snake. He became spiritually separated. He died spiritually. He became a sinner. His spirit died unto God. It was no longer alive. He lost his relationship with his father. And he became what John said in the book of John chapter 1 verse 29. Behold! The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He became the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, and He took on Him the sin of the world. Your sin, your sickness, your poverty, your curse, your fear, your torment, and mine. My God, it's an amazing truth. This is why Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he say that? Because at that moment on the cross, which happened just before he died, he was lost. Why was he lost? Because the sin of the world had come on him. And when you're in a place of sin, it blocks the relationship of your spirit to God's spirit. So the sin of the world came on him and it blocked his relationship with the father. He died spiritually. He became a sinner and he said, why have you left me? God had to leave him because he's a sinner and God could not gaze upon the snake. Whew, my God. Do you realize that he never reached the age of accountability? Jennifer, Jesus is the only human being that ever walked this earth that never reached an age of accountability. He was perfect because every time he was tested and tempted, he was without sin. He never reached an age of accountability. But on that cross, the sin of the world came on him and cut him off from God. And he became a sinner. And he died a sinner. And he went to hell as a sinner. Praise God. This is why he said in the garden, let the cup we know now of wrath let the cup of wrath pass from me. But not my will, but thy will. Because he didn't want to be separated. He had never been separated. He said, don't let me be separated. But Father, I know I must be separated. So that Craig will never be separated. Not my will, but thy will be done. And God's will was done. So I want you to picture it, brother and sister. There he hung. Broken. There he hung naked. Now listen to these three phrases. A broken body, a tormented soul, and a separated spirit. Jesus hung naked with a broken body, a tormented soul, because all of that was on him. Schizophrenia, bipolar, fear, nervousness, worry. He was a broken physical body, a tormented and harassed soul, and a separated dead unto God's spirit as a sinner. And he hung there, and while darkness, Jennifer, from 12 noon, he went on the cross at 9, he died at 3. At 12 noon, halfway through, darkness covered the earth, and I believe it was symbolic that his physical darkness covered, so darkness came on him. The sin of the world came on him, and he became separated from God. And that's why he cried out, why have you forsaken me? He was beat, cut, lacerated and pierced beyond description. All the judgment and wrath of God poured out upon him and he drank the cup fully until it was empty. All sin, perversion, sickness, poverty, harassment, disease, pain, 
torment, darkness, hopelessness, fear, and evil came upon him on that cross. And as a sinner separated from his father, taking my place, paying the wage of sin, he hung there in darkness, spiritual darkness, Jennifer, and physical darkness because the sun was blocked out for three hours. And then he makes a second last statement and he says, it is finished. What was finished? Salvation was not fully complete because he hadn't gone to hell. He hadn't been raised up. He hadn't had his body raised up on the third day. He hadn't taken his blood. He hadn't gone to heaven. He hadn't put it on the mercy seat. God had not stamped salvation as complete. So salvation wasn't complete, but what was finished? The price that had to be paid, the wage of judgment and wrath that had to be paid for sin. Somebody had to pay it. Somebody had to drink it. It had to come on somebody. That price had been fully paid when he said it is finished my God now it was salvation wasn't finished fully the price was paid but salvation he still had some steps to go through he had to go to hell he had to be raised up he had to go to heaven and put the blood on the mercy seat that is why there's a dual edge to the sword he said it is finished that's why the Roman soldier marveled because Roman centurions had been in battle and they knew that when the battle was coming to an end, it wasn't completely done, but there was a phrase, let me read it to you, victory is sure, although not fully complete. When victory was sure in a Roman war, although not fully complete, but the Roman general knew at this moment forward, nothing can defeat us. We may have a few more to kill. We may have to mop up a little bit, but we are victorious. The, the Roman so the Roman general or whoever was leading the army would shout out in Latin and, and, and he would say, it is finished. Jesus said the Hebrew word, tetelestai, but it is the words, it is finished. And the Romans would cry out, Roma victor, victory for Rome, or it is finished. Why? What they're saying is, we have still a little bit to go, but victory is sure, although not complete. And Jesus was shouting, it is finished. All that I need to do, my assignment on earth is complete. The price is paid. Yes, I've got to go to hell. Yes, I've got to be raised up. Yes, I've got to put the blood and have God approve it. That's when salvation will be finished. But nothing can overcome us now. I see the ends in sight. I see the finish line. The victory and the war is won. And he cried out, it is finished. My God, Jennifer. Can you imagine the Bible says in, in all the Gospels, they all agree that he shouted with a loud shout. He didn't whisper, it is finished. He shouted, it is finished for all to hear. What a shout of victory. What a shout of victory. Then his last statement, according to Luke 23 and verse 46, was this, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The literal Greek in the word commend is, the, is this, to give trusting for protection the literal greek in the word commend is to give trusting for protection what was jesus saying jesus knew he was separated he knew god had forsaken him he knew he was a lost sinner and he knew he was going to hell to take my place so the last words before he gave up the ghost bowed his head and breathed his last breath the last thing he said was father into your hand i give my spirit i trust you with it protect me why? This is literally what he was saying. Father, I trust you with my spirit. Protect me. If you don't raise me up from hell, I'll be lost forever. 
I'm totally at your mercy. Father, I've done the assignment. I know I'm lost from you. I know I'm going to a place of lostness for you, for from you, but I give you now my spirit. It's going to hell, but that word commend or give, it means I trust you for protection. Look it up in the Greek lexicon. That's what it says, to trust for protection. He was saying, Father, here is my spirit. It's going to hell, but I trust, protect me, deliver me, raise me up from the underworld. My God. And he breathed his last breath and he hung his head and he physically died. His heart stopped beating and his spirit man began to descend into the caverns of hell. You say, give me a scripture preacher. I'm so glad you asked. Ephesians 4, 9 and 10. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he, that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far up above all heavens that he might fulfill all things. The Bible clearly tells us. No, no ambiguity, no shadow of a doubt. He tells us the one who ascended in victory first descended into hell. He went to hell. I know some denominations don't preach that, but they're heretical. You hear me? They're heretical. To say he didn't go to hell is a lie from Satan himself. He went to hell and he became a sinner so I wouldn't have to go there. And so that you, my brother and sister, wouldn't have to go there because it's a real place and you will go if you're not born again. You must be born again. He became, Jennifer, something called the scapegoat. Do people know what a scapegoat is? The Jewish people every year, once a year, the high priest would take a goat. He would lay hands on the goat and he would transfer all the sins of the entire of the entire nation of Israel onto that goat. And even today, theologians can't figure it out because they're in their mind. And back then, they couldn't figure it out. Why didn't God tell them to kill the goat? If all the sin is on it, surely kill it. But no, God said, do not kill the goat emphatically. He said, let the goat wander in the wilderness. Why? Let me tell you why. It's not that hard to understand. The priest wondered why it would have been killed. It couldn't be killed because had the goat been killed, it would have represented the goat's end. Jesus was the goat. He took the sin of the world. He was transferred to him from all the nations of the world, past, present, and future. Jesus couldn't just end it there. The goat couldn't just end it there. No, because Jesus had to go to hell. So if the goat had died, it would have represented his end. But because the sin was transferred on the cross, it was not the end for Jesus like it was not the end for the goat. And his spirit existing, although separated from God as a sinner, went down into hell. Why? Because like the goat went into a wilderness, which was a place void of water, void of life, and void of hope. So Jesus went his spirit into the underworld, into hell, a place in the realm of the spirit, void of hope, void of life, void of any form of rescue. Hell represented the wilderness. No hope, no life. The goat had to go there after taking the sin. Jesus had to go there 
after taking our sin. Don't you love the symbolism, Jennifer, of the Bible? And Jesus descended down into the caverns of hell. I don't know exactly what it looked like. The Bible doesn't say, but we know he went there. Dr. Dufresne, my spiritual father, had a vision years ago, and he saw Jesus in hell. Whether you can't prove it or disprove it, if you don't believe it, that's okay, but believe that he went to hell. Exactly what it looked like is up for debate, but what he saw in that vision, which I'm not preaching as doctrine, it's his opinion, but I, I tend to agree with it because it makes sense. He said he saw prison bars. He saw Jesus in a cell looking like thing. He said Jesus was defeated. His spirit man was lost. He was a sinner. Not, he obviously wasn't born again or he couldn't have gone there. He was not alive unto God. His spirit was cut off from God. The sin of the world had cut him off. And he hung and he lay there in that, in that cell. But all of a sudden, the same Holy Spirit that in our experience comes and takes our spirit man, removes the sin and quickens us, makes us alive unto God. The same Holy Spirit came into hell himself. This is what Christians don't understand. The Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity, went into hell, went into that prison cell where Jesus was as a lost man paying our price in the caverns. All the demons are celebrating. Satan sits on his throne laughing. The prince of glory has been defeated. But they did not take into account that God had said he would raise him on the third day. And the Holy Spirit came into that cell and God did a miracle inside Jesus' spirit. And the same way that I get born again, he got born again. The Holy Spirit came where sin had blocked him. God removed that and the Holy Spirit quickened his spirit in hell. And his spirit became alive unto God again. He became spiritually alive again. Again, he became born of the Spirit a second time. He became born again in hell in front of Satan himself. He became born again. Did you know that, my brother and sister? I don't hear a lot of preachers preaching this, but it's the truth and it's in the Bible. Can you picture it, Jennifer? The first man that got born again got born again in hell. The first one to become alive unto God did it in the audience of Satan himself. I'm convinced that's why Satan fights this so hard. The day of his death is the day that his spirit man became alive. His physical body became alive three days later. That's when he was risen in the physical realm, but in the caverns of hell, his spirit was made alive unto God on the first, the, when he went there. Why do we know that? Because he said to the thief, I'll be with you today in paradise. That means imminently he was going to paradise and you can't get to paradise if you're a sinner. So he had to get born again in the tormenting part of hell in front of Satan before he could go over to paradise. So I believe on the first day, the day of his death, his spirit man became alive unto God in hell in front of Satan himself. I know some people don't agree with that, but it's the truth. Jesus went, I don't know what he did. Dr. Dufresne said that he probably kicked him in his forehead and knocked him backward off his throne. That's a nice thought. I don't know if that's the way it happened, but I do know this, that Revelations 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Where do you think he got them? Satan held the keys. I believe this is what happened. 
He was lying in that cell as a helpless, helpless sinner. The Holy Ghost quickened his spirit. He became alive unto God. He became born again. He stood up. I believe he lifted his hands and he worshiped his father even from hell itself. He was now back in relationship with his Abba Father. I believe he glanced down and his eyes locked with Satan. And I wish I was there to see the look of terror on Satan's face. The bars explode. The demons go sprawling. And the first born again man walks out, walks up to the throne of Satan himself and says, give him to me. Give me the keys of death and hell. I have overcome. I am now the first born again man from the dead. That's why he's called the firstborn. Because he was the first born again man from the dead. And the Bible said he takes those keys. Can you imagine the look on Satan's face? Not to belabor it, but he goes just so that you know, 1 Peter 3, 19, after he's got the keys, the Bible tells us that he went to a section of hell called Tartarus where those fallen angels in Genesis 6 had come down and taken earthly shapes, physical men shapes, had had sex with the daughters of men. Why? To block the seed line of Christ. Giants lived on the earth. Those ancient alien people that are on the TV have part of it right, but they don't have all of it right because they don't read the Bible. The Bible has all the answers. They did come, angels, and mix seed with humans and formed a giant race. The Bible clearly says it. They were called the Nephilim, they were called the Rephaim, and they were called the Anakim. Goliath was of that race. And they did it for two reasons. One, so that the seed line by birth would be blocked so Jesus couldn't come through the line of Judah. Or, like with David, Jesus came through David's line. But if that giant that's from that thing could have killed David, Jesus would have never been born. Why did those angels come in Genesis 6? To stop Jesus from being born. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.19, he goes to the spirits in prison of Tartarus, the ones that came in Genesis 6, and he preaches to them. What did he preach? Ah, you're, you tried to stop my arrival in the earth, but I came. I lived perfect. I died perfect. I took their place. I drank the cup of wrath. And I am now the first born again man from spiritual death. You failed. My God, I want to see that preaching when I get to heaven, Jesus. Jenny, I want to see Jesus preach to those fallen angels. Woo, my God, it's exciting. And then he goes over to paradise because he told that guy, the thief, I'll be with you today in paradise. Like I told you, I believe that his spirit was quickened on the first day, but he was in paradise most of those three days and nights, fellowshipping with the saints of old who now see him as their Messiah. And then on the third day, his physical body is raised up. And we know that's what we're celebrating today, Easter Sunday morning, the day of resurrection, when his body blasts out of that tomb. But he became born again before that. My God. Bible says in Hebrews 2, 9 that he tasted death for us. He didn't sit long time. A taste is not a whole meal. He didn't stay separated from God for a length of time, a long time. He tasted separation from God for us. I believe it wasn't very long in that cavern before the Holy Ghost raised him up and he became the first man. Remember, as the sun, at sunrise, Easter Sunday morning, the sun did rise. At sunrise, S-U-N, the sun, capital S-O-N, did rise. 
And that's what we're celebrating today. And he told Mary, don't touch me. Why? Because he's holding his blood. He has to go to the Father, present it to God, and receive his establishment that salvation was complete to the uttermost and for eternity, that nothing more had to be done, that it was done and complete. And he sat down as king of kings of Lord of lords. And then he came back later that day and he saw the three ladies, Mary being one of them, and he didn't say, don't touch me. He hugged them. The Bible says that they touched him and handled him and he celebrated with them and he went and met his disciples and he let them touch him. Why? He didn't tip Mary touch because he was holding his blood that had to go to heaven, but he came back. Meaning that salvation had been completed on that glorious Sunday resurrection day. Jenny, the price was paid on the cross. He became separated on the cross spiritually. He went to hell that day. He got born again that first day. But it wasn't until the third day when he went, rose and went to heaven and put his blood down. It's resurrection Sunday that salvation is fully ratified and completed to the eternal uttermost. That's why we celebrate today because it's the day our salvation was sealed. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So don't ever forget, my brother and sister, don't you ever forget it. He got born again in front of Satan himself. Hell housed the first salvation. And that is why Satan is haunted for all eternity at the moment he became the first born again from spiritual death. He is haunted because of that moment of salvation. That's why Satan fights the born again experience. He fights for men not to be saved. He fights tooth, nail, and claw. He fights it because he saw the first man get saved. It's an astonishing thought. You say, Pastor Craig, as I close, where in the Bible does it say he was born again? A lot of people don't believe it, but it's very clear. I'll read you four verses, but there's many others. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. We've heard the church were born again. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Revelations 1, 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood. Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I'm a brethren. I'm born again. He had to be the firstborn again, man so I could follow in his footsteps. Hebrews 12, 23, finally, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. We are the church, but he is the firstborn again man. People have said to me, it says firstborn, but that means he was physically raised on the third day. That is an ignorant statement. First of all, because if you are physically raised, it's not called born. When you are physically raised like Jesus on the third day, it's called being raised. It's not called being born. We know that the word born refers to spiritual things because Jesus said you must be born of the spirit. Every time you see the word born, it's talking about a spiritual birth, a born again, born of the spirit, made alive unto God. 
So born clearly refers to spiritual things in the Bible, not physical resurrection, but spiritual resurrection. So when it says he was the firstborn from the dead, it's taking spiritual death and separation, talking about spiritual death and separation from God. He was the firstborn again man of the spiritually separated, of spiritual death. The firstborn from the dead. Can I say one more thing before I close, Jennifer? The Greek lexicon of the New Testament explains the word. This is, this is the Greek lexicon. This is like the gold standard of interpretation of the Greek language. And it says of the word firstborn in Colossians 1, 15 and 18, this statement, speaking of Christ as the firstborn of a new humanity, which is to be glorified and exalted as the Lord is glorified. The word firstborn speaks of a new humanity. Second Corinthians 5 17 therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creation all things have passed away all things have become new when you are in Christ or born again you become a new creation you become a new species of being one translation says and according to the Greek lexicon you become a new humanity when I'm born again, I become new. I become a new type of human. I become a new species of being. I become a new creation. But obviously, if I am becoming a new humanity, somebody had to become it first. And that is why the firstborn, the firstborn again man from spiritual death started this new type of humanity. He was the new humanity, and I follow in his footsteps. Let me close by saying, if Jesus got born again, you must be born again. He is the door by which you enter the born-again experience. John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved or born again and shall go out and find pasture or spiritual peace. John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the door, and he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. And without going through his blood to make your spirit alive a second time, you cannot see heaven. He was born again so that we would be born again. Now, my Christians, brothers and sisters, I'm speaking to you specifically. Remember, please, that in this natural realm, if you're spiritually separated from God, I'm speaking to everybody right now, there are consequences for not being saved in the earth. Sickness, poverty, lack, and all the torment is part of it. But if you're spiritually connected because you're born again, you don't have to take sickness. Because when Jesus was separated on the cross, he took your sickness. That's this realm. Don't forget, there's another realm. The consequence of being separated spiritually here means when you physically die, you'll be spiritually separated there. That's hell. So if you're, listen, if you're not born again, you're going to experience sickness and problems in this realm, and then it gets worse. Because when you die, you're going to experience torment in that realm. But if you are born again, you have a right to not experience sickness and poverty and lack and disease and torment and fear. You have a right, if you're spiritually connected to God, breathing oxygen in this earth, you have a right to be free. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, he was separated from God for you. He died spiritually for you. He became a sinner for you. And he took your sickness. Now many of you have been born again and you've received that. Now 
now you're connected with God, but you're still sick. There's no need to be sick when he took it for you. And if you're not saved, I'm telling you, you're going to experience trouble in this realm and the worst trouble is yet to come. People say, I hear them on television, Jennifer, say, I guess this earth, I guess this is the worst it's going to get and they have no idea what they're talking about. This earth pales in comparison to what's coming if you're not born again. This torment you face now being spiritually separated is nothing compared to what's coming in hell if you stay spiritually separated. But you can avoid it. You can escape that torment by saying, Jesus, make my spirit connected to God, alive unto God, born of the Spirit, born a second time, born again. Let me be born again. Help me, Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. Then in this realm, you'll be connected and you'll walk in peace and love and healing and joy and prosperity. And when you die, your spirit will go staying connected forever with God in heaven. I don't think I can say it any more plainly. Jesus had to pay Jennifer the price. He had to bear the consequence in both realms. He had to be separated in this realm and that. He had to bear sickness in this realm so that you could be free. Praise God. Hallelujah. If you're a sinner today, you say, I don't like it when you call me a sinner, preacher. It's not me, my friend. It's God. He calls you a sinner, far from the covenants of grace and promise. He wants to come into relationship with you. He wants you to enter the covenant that he cut with his own son and his own son's blood. He wants you to enter into that covenant through Jesus, the door, so you can experience the blessings of that covenant while you walk this earth and then when you step over into eternity. If you don't, you're lost in darkness forever. And whatever you think is going wrong now is going to get a lot worse when you die. If any of you find yourselves, and I hope you don't, but if you find yourselves standing before a holy God on a white throne one day, the Bible calls it the great white throne judgment. And the only ones that go to that judgment are ones that rejected the born again experience. And you'll tell God all the good things you did and you'll whine and you'll cry and you'll blubber and you'll shout. But God will look at you and say, you did not have covenant through the blood of my son. You rejected his sacrifice. Depart from me, workers of iniquity, and go to the lake of fire where you will be forever. I know that's hard preaching, but unfortunately in today's society, we have a bunch of weak-willed, weak-tongued, and spineless preachers that won't tell people the truth. I love you enough to scare you if need be out of hell so that you would recognize as a real hell to shun and a real heaven to gain. And you can gain it by saying, Jesus, be my Savior. Bow your head and close your eyes with me as I pray. If that is you today and say, Preacher, I may not have liked everything you've said, but I've heard what you've said. And in my heart, God is bearing witness in my heart that what you've said is true. I want to escape that place of hell. Jesus went there so I wouldn't have to. I, I don't want to continue living separated from God in this earth. Jesus was separated on that cross so I wouldn't have to be. He became the sinner so I could be a saint. He drank the cup of wrath so it wouldn't be mine to drink. I want Jesus to come into my heart. If that's you right now, 
Say this simple prayer after me. And don't just mean it in your mind, mean it in your heart. Let your heart connect with your words. Let your heart reach out and take it. Dear Father, repeat after me. I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. I accept the fact that I am a sinner, far from the covenants of grace and promise, separated by sin, for all have sinned, and I am one of them. But Jesus, I've heard the preacher tell me that you came for me, that you hung on that cross and was separated so that I wouldn't have to be. And you paid the ultimate price separated in the next realm. Gone to hell. So I wouldn't have to be. And you bore my sickness on that cross. So that I wouldn't be sick. Father. Receive me. I come through the door of the Lord Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. I confess with my mouth. Jesus is my Lord. And I believe with all my heart that you raised him from the dead, that he is both born again and that he was physically raised the third day. And because I believe it and because I say it, now the blood washes me. The Holy Spirit comes into me and he quickens my spirit that was dead unto God. And makes me born again. Born of the Spirit a second time. I declare, I am now born again. I'm alive unto God. I can talk to Him as my Father. And I will from this moment forward. Father, help me find a church and a pastor. Because the first thing Jesus did was give me a pastor in Ephesians 4.11. Let me find a church. Help me lead me to one where I can learn the Bible. And I will give my whole future to you, Father. If you've prayed that prayer, I celebrate with you. You are now my sister or my brother in Christ. He was the first born again man from spiritual death. And you are the 10 million, 700, what are the thousandth born again man or woman from spiritual death. But we all have a number. He happened to be number one. But at least our name is in the book. On the screen, you'll see an email that says salvation at promiseoflife.ca. Email us so we can send you a free Bible, some books and material to help you in your journey with God. And now as we end the preaching portion of this sermon. I know Easter Sunday you can preach on a thousand different topics all about the resurrection, but this is what God told me to preach this time. I know it was intense. I know some of you may have wanted more of a rah, rah, shout, shout, kind of thing, but that's not what God asked me to do. And there's many hundreds of people watching and that will watch the archive that are not saved that needed to hear this. But now, Reverend Taylor, if you would come, those of you that, are, that used to be sinners that are now saved, you're going to email us and you're going to go on and you walk with God now, born again on your way to heaven. If you that have just been saved are sick, God will touch you and heal you right now and deliver you. And for all those precious born again Christians that listened, I'm telling you, nothing strengthens your faith more 
than hearing about the magnificence of your salvation. Don't look at this and say, well, I already knew all that. Even if you did, when you meditate on what he did, the magnificence and the glory of your salvation, faith comes into your heart, my brother and sister in Christ. And now release your faith with me because healing power is about to flow through that screen and into your body. Some people say, what if they're not Christians and they haven't got born again? Will God still heal them? Yes, he'll still heal them as a sign and a wonder to point them to Jesus and to show him his, them his great love for them. But if you're, whether you're a sinner, God will heal you right now and then get saved. If you've just got saved, God will heal you right now. If you're already a Christian, God will heal you right now. Why? Because Jesus hung with every sickness, every pain, every torment mentally, every fear. He hung it in the physical darkness. He hung with it on him and he paid it for you. You don't need to take it. He paid it. It's time for you to be healed. So Heavenly Father, right now, I pray a general prayer for every individual that is watching me by way of live stream. Stretch your hands out toward the screen as an act of your faith. There's nothing magical or mystical about that. It's just an act of faith. It's a point of contact for your faith. Stretch your hands out toward the screen. Now, Heavenly Father, I have obeyed you, sir, and I have fulfilled my assignment this morning. I have preached your word under your anointing, and many have been born again, and many will be that listen to it later. But Father, you didn't just tell me it was time for the people to be saved. You told me more than once that there would be much power, a unique and strong anointing for healing would flow into every heart that reached out in faith. Father, for some of them just watching is their act of faith. Others, Father, they're reaching out their heart now and they're actively believing you to receive it. But Lord, look down from your holy habitation. See every heart that's watching. See their need. See the measure of faith that they have and the measure of faith that they are releasing right now. And meet them at their point of need, Father, I ask you. Meet them at at their point of faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, I release healing power right now in the name of Jesus. I release healing power. Jenny, come stand beside me and join with me in your faith. Lord, as they reach toward the screen, I reach my hand toward them. I release healing power in the name of Jesus to flow right now through that screen and to flow into every body and every mind that is wet, that is malady, that is ailed, that is sick, that is hurting, that is tormented, that is weak. I say in the name of Jesus, put your hand on the body part right now as an act of faith. If you've got gout in your feet, put your hand there. If you've got migraines, put your hand on your forehead. If you've got a sciatic nerve, put your hand where that on your hip where that area is. If you've got knee problems, place your hand on your knees. Heart problems on your heart. Eye problems on your eyes. As an act of faith, touch the part of your body that is not well. And I say, healing power, flow! In the name of Jesus, right now, there's a man 
with a swollen right knee that's being healed right now. There's a lady with an ear infection on your, on your, on your, it's on my right, your left, your left ear in Jesus' name is being healed right now. There's a person with indigestion problems. You're being healed right now. That colitis is being healed right now. Spinal problems. There's somebody with fluid in the spine. Something is wrong with the fluid production. I say be healed right now. There's somebody with toes. It's unusual, but they keep cracking and they keep swelling. I don't know if it's arthritis or what it is. I say be healed in those toes in the name of Jesus. There's somebody with carpal tunnel. You're being healed right now. Somebody with hair loss. You're being healed right now. There's somebody that has got cataract. You're being healed right now. Swelling of the nasal passages. You're being healed right now. There's more than one deaf person or partly deaf. I say in Jesus' name, ears open in Jesus' name. I say be whole and be healed, you deaf one in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. There's a blood disease being healed right now. A blood disease being healed right now. There's paralysis being healed right now. If you get any, any words, Jenny, just speak them out. Speak them out. I'll, I'll yield to you. Grab the microphone and speak them out if you get anything. You say, what are you praying in? I'm praying in a heavenly language called tongues. It's in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 14. Don't be freaked out by that. It's part of the born again experience. I see hip problems in the name of Jesus. I see bones out of joint being healed in the name of Jesus. I see a tongue problem. I see nerve problems in the name of Jesus. Schizophrenia, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I command those demons, come out of them in Jesus' name. I say minds be whole, thoughts be healed. Emotional scarring be healed in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. There's a man with a problem in your groin, your private part area. I don't exactly know, but there's a swelling and there's a problem. I say be healed in Jesus' name. I send the word to you and the power of God heals you. There's a lady that can't conceive. I say be healed in your womb in Jesus' name. I say babies come forth in Jesus' name. I see a man not able to run properly. It's like you try, but there's such pain. You can't run. I say, be put your hand on your head, both hands on your head, sir. I say right now the power of God flow from the crown of his head down to his toes. I say, be healed in Jesus' name. I thank you for that man that's healed. I thank you for the testimonies to come into the website, for the phone to ring this week for people to tell us how they were healed. In the name of Jesus. Do you have anything, honey? If not, I'll keep going. But if you do, I, I then see, speak it out. I see spines being touched by the Mas power of God made whole. We release that healing power in the name of Jesus to minister to your spine today. In Jesus' name, I see fingers. Fingers and arthritis being healed in the name of Jesus and chronic pain, chronic pain in body parts and in organs in the name of Jesus. I speak to you and I command you to leave their bodies. Let a wave of healing go in Jesus' name. 
Father, these are your people. They have a right to be healed. You bore it on that cross. You took it for them. Matthew 8, 17 says he took our infirmities and he bare our sickness. You took it for us, Jesus, so that we would not have to take it and bear it. You took it for us so that we have the right to take our healing instead. We take our healing now in Jesus' name. Whether their need was called out or not, Father, whatever the ailment is, we take aggressively by faith our healing right now. Jesus, you bore it and we have a right to enjoy the freedom from it. And we take it right now, right now. There's somebody that's something wrong with your fingernails. God is healing them. In Jesus' mighty name. Oh, somebody, there's something with your earlobe. I don't know what it is, but there's a problem. I don't know if it's infected or what it is, but I see that being healed right now in Jesus' name. A liver problem right now. Oh yeah, those toxic levels are going down. I thank you for the healing of that liver, Father. I thank you for the strengthening of that heart and its irregular beats. I declare it to be whole. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. Skeletal problems in Jesus' name. Arthritis in Jesus' name. I say it's being healed right now. Cancer, I curse you in Jesus' name from your root. I command you to die in Jesus' name. Respiratory problems, I command you to be healed in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. Healing power flows into those lungs. I see dementia and electrical impulses that are being interrupted and causing memory loss. I command that to be healed in Jesus' name. I say you remember right and you are clear in your thought. Nightmares, I command you to go in Jesus' name. Sexual perversion, I command you to go in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. Phobias of all kind, I command you to go in Jesus' name. Yes, I thank you, Father. I see a man afraid to fly, a crippling fear. I command that demon spirit, loose him in Jesus' name. I thank you that it goes now, Father. And once this corona thing is over, I thank you he'll get back on that plane and all that will go, all that will have left him. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory to God. Now, my brother and sister, you've received it by faith. If a symptom tries to come back, answer it. Say, no, you don't. Not on my body, you don't. No, you don't. Not in my mind, you don't. Jesus healed me. I received my healing. On Sunday morning, Easter service at 12 o'clock, I received my healing. You answer. If that, if that, if that thing tries to come back, you answer it and command it to leave you. It has no right to touch you. If you just lie back and don't use your authority, It'll try to come back on you and rob you of your healing. But you have a right to answer it. And so many of you are healed instantly this morning, but there are some that it will be by process, meaning as today wears on, you may notice that change later this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning, this coming week. Until it fully manifests, 
make sure you guard what you say. Don't say, oh, I guess it's not working or, oh, I guess God's not helping me. Just praise Him. Praise is an act of faith. And just say, Father, I praise you that your healing power flowed into me by faith on Sunday morning at about noon and it's working in me right now. Until it fully manifests, you praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. And if that symptom tries to come back, speak to it and say, no, you don't in Jesus' name. When Satan came to Jesus, Jesus answered him with the word. When Goliath spoke to David, David answered him. When the devil or the symptom tries to come back, answer it with the word and say, by his stripes, I am healed. Healing came into me Sunday morning and I am healed. You cannot come back on me. And you'll see, it will listen to you. Symptoms are afraid of the authority of the Christian. Demons shudder at the power and the authority of the believer. Use your authority, my brother and sister. Keep your confession right and you'll see. Not just the ones that my wife and I called out, but there are many that we did not call out, but that general prayer healing is flowing into your body. Don't be discouraged because the specificity wasn't called. You receive that general prayer that I prayed at the beginning. You receive it. Amen. The power is working in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Father, for those that don't have jobs, for those that are financially strained, for those that have been hurt during this time financially, I speak in the name of Jesus. Father, do miracles for them. Intervene into the ordinary course of nature. Deliver them from this trial. Father, we release our faith that your grace, your help, and your financial breakthrough will be theirs. Give them a job and a better one than they had before. Make up more money than even what they lost. And at the end of all of this, they'll look back and they'll have more. Had this corona thing hadn't even happened, they'll have more. Father, I pray for everyone that is discouraged, everyone that is fearful. I command fear, loose them in Jesus' name. I say, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Corona didn't take God by surprise. God knew it was coming and He expects us to be strong and use our faith through it and we will suffer no loss financially and we will suffer no loss physically and we will not get sick and we will not be afraid and you say but I've lost my job how am I not going to suffer loss just give it some time keep your covenant of giving and tithing and faith and love walking in love and just give it some time before the end of this year I guarantee you if you stay in faith everything you lost God will not only give it back but he'll give you back more you'll come out more than when you went into this crisis why because the Bible says the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter unto the noonday sun. That means it's going to get better for you, my brother and sister, not worse. Now, if you've been healed and you can tell a change in your body, email us at testimonies at promiseoflife.ca so we can celebrate with you. If you've got questions about healing, email that to that account as well and we will answer them. If you've been saved, email us to Salvation at Promise of Life so we can celebrate and give you some free material. Don't forget to keep watching us as we continue preaching every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday morning, of course, until the bans and restrictions are lifted. Thank you so much. The second offering, don't forget to give. It's toward our evangelism fund. Promise of Life congregation, I love you. I miss seeing your faces. I can't wait to see you again soon. All the visitors that have tuned in, God bless you. Thank you for watching this broadcast. I pray that the words that God delivered through my simple lips will stay with you 
and that if you are not born again, you'll make that decision for Jesus. And if you are, that you'll find a church and a pastor so that you can grow and be strong in this journey that you're walking. My wife and I, on behalf of Promise of Life Church, love you, bless you, and thank you for tuning in to our Easter Sunday morning resurrection healing service. God bless, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow night for our prayer meeting at 7.30. Thank you again for tuning in, and happy Easter.